This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, did RTD's zero fare for better air actually get more people on the bus? Are the bike lanes the problem or is it the drivers? And why do people keep dying in Denver streets? We invited one of our favorite reporters back to answer these burning transit questions and so much more. Today is Wednesday, October 4th. I'm Bree Davies and here's what Denver's talking about. Nate Miner, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me, Bree. Are you participating in a week without driving? I'm participating in as much as my wife and I share a car. Oh, that's carpooling was part of the deal. Yeah. And it's mostly on me to be the one that doesn't drive the car, which is fine, which is fine. We are lucky enough that all the things that we need in our life are accessible Close. by like car is is like all the things in our life we can get to without a car if we absolutely have to. So that's great. I'm glad you made that point because that is not the case for myself has to drive my son from wash park to littleton to to all you know to his grandparents every week and if i did that on the bus it would take all day yeah so i just like have a collection of stories this pile that i've been making of great of, of things i wanted your hot take on <laughs> you're Ooh. our transit expert and Let's just start with Vision Zero, um, which was is is the plan to eliminate uh, pedestrian deaths in Denver streets by 2030. Uh, we are currently at 67 traffic deaths in October in 2023 so far. Where where does that put us with Vision Zero? Okay, so Vision Zero is not going well, um, as you as you <laughs> rightly stated. No. I think it was over 80 deaths last year and the year oh. before. Um, and that, that's a rise. When Mayor Hancock uh, adopted Vision Zero 2016-17-ish, um, we were sort of at a lull. Like there was a peak about 10 or 15 years ago, and then we were in a lull, and now it's going up again. Um, so it's, it's not going well. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. I was going to say what, because like I have my anecdotal experience as a driver and a pedestrian, but what what is going on? So some of it is things totally outside of Denver's control, right? Denver is a local government. Cars are governed by the federal government for the most part, right? So in the last 10 years or so, uh, people have really ditched sedans almost completely, yes. especially in Colorado. Oh, for sure. And now we're all driving forerunners or and uh, we're driving bigger cars, essentially. And the the cars, the vehicles that the industry is giving us to drive are getting bigger themselves. I was going to say, sometimes I walk through parking lots like holding my son's hand. He's two and I measure how tall he is. And yeah. like most of the tires are taller. Like <laughs> you can't you wouldn't be able to see my kid if you tried. Yeah. But so. like, if you wanted to buy a Subaru Outback, 
uh, 15 years ago, it was built off of a car body. Now it's built off of, it's more of a crossover. So the, the, cur- the, uh, the curb weight is more, uh, and also the, the height of the bumper is more. And that's really the key thing is the bumper height. So a, a particularly dangerous type of crash is a, is, a, is a collision where someone in a car hits someone on their feet, on their bike. And if you're in a car, this has happened to me personally, you can fly up over the hood. Oh, right. oh gosh, yeah, that's a terrifying thought. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Clear, there's like some clearance, yes. essentially. Where if someone hits you and they're in a truck, you're, you're going to go under it. You're flattened. Either it's going to hit you and you're going to fall over or, or like, you. yeah, it's it's way more deadly because you're, instead of hitting your waist or your knees, you're hitting like your heart. Oh, my God. Um, and so that there's research to this effect. Bigger cars are more dangerous. That is certainly not helping with Vision Zero. Is 2030 a pipe dream for Vision Zero at this point? Yeah, we're not moving in the right direction um, at all, I think. Right. Vision Zero is interesting because I think the thing everyone thinks about with Vision Zero is it's this big goal to eliminate traffic deaths. But the really radical thing about Vision Zero is it turns the paradigm for responsibility on its head. So for 100 years, if you go back and read the Rocky Mountain News from 1910, which I have done, it's totally like... (laughs) Uh, if it totally sounds like Joe Logan Torrey, like Denver's resident pedestrian freak, yeah, um, and lover for it, right? Yeah, but it they are totally like these cars are dangerous. We need to get them off our streets. But the thing that happened here and across the whole country is that the auto industry was super successful at reframing the problem as a pedestrian, at, as a pedestrian problem, problem versus the driver's problem. And so what Vision Zero does is tries to kind of turn it back to the way it was 100 years ago. So it's it doesn't say uh, pedestrian, it doesn't say driver behavior or pedestrian behavior is the problem. It says the system is the problem. We've designed a really unsafe system. Um, and so the goal of Vision Zero is to create one where mistakes are inevitable. Mm. A pedestrian is gonna be looking at their phone when they cross Colfax, or sure. they're gonna be drunk out of their mind, um, or a driver will be. But what if we designed a system with speed bumps with narrow uh, lanes where it was really, really hard to speed. Yeah. Just physically hard to speed. Sure. Then it's physically hard to hurt someone or kill someone. Because you have to slow down. Yeah. Which is not the, I mean, I would say it's not the case for a lot of the streets and intersections where we see these accidents, right? Yeah. I just spent an hour at Federal and 14th last week. That is one of the most terrifying intersections as a driver, because there's, I feel for the pedestrians, because there's a bus, there's a really well-used bus stop right yep. there. And it's just like mayhem of people trying to get across as fast as they can. And for someone who uses a you know, mobility device of some kind, it's like, good luck. It's I, so scary. I, I interviewed someone in a wheelchair as they were crossing the street. And he was complaining about how little time he had to cross yeah. the street. It's crazy. I mean, that would be, I feel like that intersection is talked about a lot in this context, but it it would be like the easy solution one is just start with this one. Just start with this one. I like going there because it's illustrative of all these problems (laughs) and it is on CDOT's doorstep. Oh, you're right. Their building is literally right there. They can see it from their building. They can, yes. (laughs) So speaking of CDOT, were they the ones that put those little green uh, men with flags out on the streets? Yes. So CDOT put out these little green guys. Uh, you might see them in your neighborhood, right? Totally. They're like to get you to slow down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So CDOT um, put them at a number of intersections around the city, 14th and Federal being one, 6th and Broadway, uh, particularly dangerous intersections. Yeah. And 
I thought, huh, okay, let me go see what people think of these. So I went oh my God. to 14th and Federal, talked to people for an hour who use the bus. There's a train station there too. So there's a lot of people running down to the train station. And to a person, people are like, what, what is this? It's like offensive kind of like, this is your so- solution right now is to like, just warn people yeah. a car will drive over yeah. them. So to CDOT's credit, I talked to them about it and they were a little defensive and said, look, this is not the only thing we're doing, okay? Please don't frame it that way. Which is true that CDOT is putting more money into pedestrian safety projects than as far as I know they have in recent history. It is a priority for them. Um, but certainly it looked bad when, you know, we had a horrible traffic death uh, weekend. Oh, we had a horrible right. traffic violence weekend, maybe yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah. And right after that, CDOT put out this release and everyone kind of went, what? <laughs> yeah, really? Okay. And we're talking about CDOT, the Colorado Department of Transportation, because there's this sort of issue sometimes where who's, whose responsibility is this road, right? It can yeah. be CDOTs. It can be the city of Denver's. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so Federal Boulevard is a state highway. It's owned by CDOT. Colfax, it's the same. State, it's actually a state it highway. It is a state highway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Which feels appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Colorado Boulevard, same way. A lot of the big arterials, even out into the burbs, like Wadsworth, that's a state highway. Sure. Um, a good comparison, Broadway is not. That's owned by the city. Interesting. Which is why you see the city doing stuff over there. Like Versus. That, they just threw a bike lane on Broadway. Yes. And it's taken for them forever to finish it. Right. But, but they were able to the... do that because they own it. They can do whatever they want to it. Oh, my God. That just answers so many questions for me. Like, why are we not seeing that kind of work on federal? Which yeah. I know, again, speaking of Jill Locantori, Denver Streets Partnership has done relentless advocacy around a, a, a highway like federal. And this is why we maybe aren't seeing those kinds of changes is because it's a different sort of uh, governmental jurisdiction. I will say so it makes it more complicated. Um but also, I think the city can use this as an excuse. They can say, look, we can't do much with federal because the state you. owns that. And so then I asked in this Vision Zero reporting I did over the summer, I asked Denver, uh, how many times did you request that CDOT take a look at the speed limits on any, on federal, on Colfax, Easy, whatever? quick. Because that's that's how the process has to work. They sure. have to ask CDOT, hey, please look at these speed limits. And that's the first step toward actually lowering the speed limits. Since Denver adopted Vision Zero, it did not do that once. It what? Did, it did not ask CDOT once to take a look at speed limits on state-owned highways within city limits. Oh, that just like, so we could have a whole show about how sad I am that yeah. people go 60 miles yeah. an hour on federal. But really to, to kind of answer your big questions about Vision Zero, yeah. it's big cars, um, it's enforcement has fallen off a cliff. It's 100%. a third of what it was. I pulled data on this. It's a third of what it was 10 years ago. What? And the third part is is there's this reluctance to really do big stuff on the yeah. most problematic roads, it's... right? A lot of the infrastructure work, which to their credit, that is the big thing in Vision Zero is to fix the infrastructure. They're doing it in the neighborhoods mostly. Which is great. Yeah. But uh, like... You see a little bit on Colfax around sure. downtown. Sure. Um, but South Federal, um, Colorado Boulevard, Sheridan, like this is where most of the really, really bad crashes are happening. And that's where we're seeing action just really, really slow. It's just moving so slow. I have one more question sort of related to this before we move on. But yep. um, there was this conversation, I think it was recommended by Johnston's Transit Committee to ban right turns on red. Yeah. Um, I didn't see a ton of conversation about this. I feel like it could be pretty controversial. 
Yeah, the the history of that it goes back to the seventies. It was an idea put forward to save gas during. <laughs> Just like, sure, really okay, sure. The transition committee, you know, kind of depend like they. I think the idea is like, hey, here's a to-do list. If you, Once you get into office, here's some stuff to work on. But it's really up to the administration. Sure. What to prioritize. Yeah. yeah. And as far as I can tell, Johnston is prioritizing homelessness more than right. anything in the city right now, which is fair. Just totally. walk around the city, you can understand that. But I've yet to see Johnston really dig in on transportation issues. We'll be watching for that because that was my question, too, is once I mean, we're not going to get a handle on the housing situation, but maybe once that gets more going, maybe he'll start looking at transit issues. Yeah, I don't know. Um, There's a couple things that could be on the ballot next year that'll be interesting to see if if Johnson weighs in on. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. Actually, this kind of rolls right into this question, which is about the size of cars. Um, And you recently reported on a bill that would raise up to $20 million a year for projects to make roads safer for pedestrians and cyclists via a new registration fee that would scale with the weight of the vehicle. And I basically, I understood that to mean the heavier your car is, the more you would pay. What is, can you explain this bill a little bit, Nate? Yeah. So the idea, this has been done in France and Washington, D.C. and places that are really, a little more progressive on transportation issues than Denver. Uh, And the idea is if you have a big car, there are a lot of negative externalities, to speak like an economist for a second. There's a (laughs) lot of consequences to people outside of your car. Yes. um, You know, for the person on the inside. So it's trying to like spread the pain a little bit economically. Spread the responsibility. Yes, there we are. Of having, making the choice to have this bigger car. And this bill would say the the heavier your car is, the more you would be paying into this fee, which the, that money in turn would be used to make the roads safer for people outside of your car. That's right. Do you think that's a real possibility here in Colorado? We love our car. You know, so it's going through this interim committee at the Capitol right now, and there was support for it. Um, I think pedestrian deaths particularly are kind of reaching this point where it's like where people are like oh my god this is bad <laughs> and this was a, a real policy proposal that advocates even triple a's on board with this brought it forward and we're like hey hey this thing that we were all been talking about for years here's here's something we can do and uh, and i want to bring it to the ev convo because i remember from previous conversations with you Electric vehicles are pretty heavy. Super heavy, yeah. So how does that play into this, like, we're really kind of promoting as a state, like, we've got all these rebates for electric vehicles. Is that going to sort of, is that kind of counter to that? You know, the fees that they're talking about with this uh, weight bill are pretty small. Like, if you bought the H2 Hummer, the battery in an H2 Hummer Hummer weighs more than a Honda Civic. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> so you could like put a Honda Civic on top of it. Right. That's uh, the oh. yeah. Whoa. It weighs like eight thousand something pounds. That's crazy. And the fee on that would be like thirty something dollars a year. So oh. we're not talking okay. a lot of money here. Um, the advocates wanted it to be higher, but by law they can't. Sure. Um, so so really, I think like you know. I published that story on last week and got plenty of, of blowback from people being like, there they go again, making it more expensive to live my life. Um, with no consequence with to no- anyone else. <laughs> Over the last couple of months, we've seen traffic patterns in Capitol Hill and Congress Park change, um, adding bike lanes, sort of just like changing the st- way the street goes, adding protective barriers. Um, and it's it's creating a lot more controversy than I would have assumed. What is going on with bike lanes in Denver? So Mayor Hancock came out last fall and celebrated his big 125 miles. Right, right. right? And and that was a big deal, right? That that was coming from the top elected officials saying, hey, this is a priority for me and I'm going to have my transportation department go do this big thing. They want to make it safer to bike. But to do that, you really need to take lanes of traffic or you need to take parking spaces. Big changes that Denverites yes. do not like. And it matters a lot if you get the mayor on board behind you. You know, in the last couple of months, as as all these kind of were being rushed to completion as he was leaving office, um, you know, we, we kind of saw the consequences of it, right? Um, and so on the big one in Capitol Hill is 7th. Goes it's if it starts at Broadway and Seventh, you kind of you're in the Trader Joe's area. Sure, Governor's Mansion is right there, and then it works its way up to Cheeseman Park, and that that's not a bike lane; it's a neighborhood bike way. And the idea is you kind of make it a really slow street for cars, so that it's more fun to bike on and more safe to bike on, but you don't lose parking, you don't lose uh, the ability to drive on it like a bike lane would actually take up that space. Well, and I want to point out too, 7th Avenue is between 6th Avenue and 8th Avenue, which are, which are both crazy. Those are, I, I would not bike on them. They are four cars. Yeah, I have so, to bike across them every day and it's terrifying. <laughs> I, so this would be, this idea is kind of just like, this would be the option for the cyclist without changing a ton about the street. Yeah, yeah, go east-west on this street. It's a good way to get you know from one side of Cap Hill to the other. Sure. Um, the issue with that is the way they try to discourage cars from using it, right? So it's called a diverter. It's like some posts in the ground and they basically are trying to force drivers to turn right and not go down 7th at certain spots. And you can kind of work your way around to get to 7th again, but it's really just supposed to make it a pain in the ass sure. to get onto 7th. And people just kind of lost their minds over it. They're like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this thing. Um, it, I can't possibly use these two other streets. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, for people that live sure. on 7th, I'm Fair. sure it's a pain in the butt. Um and, you know, I will say, like, in those places where uh, the bike lane disappears and the bikes and the cars are supposed to share this to space, be... it can get dicey. Like, sure. I've been on them, not this one in particular, but I'm thinking of the one on Bayad, and there was a car behind me. I could tell he was mad. And the second he had the clearance to do it, just, just swerves just around just you. like, yes, hit 40 miles an hour within, like, half a block and then cut me off. And I'm like, great. I hope you're, you're like, I'm alive, but thank you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's 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 interesting because it's really the first time Denver has told cars explicitly with signs and posts, you're not the most important thing here right now. And I think people are taking that kind of hard. That's what I'm wondering is like the root of this, is this just like a 
lack of education around how to drive in these new patterns? Is it just that cars have been king for so long, people don't want to give it up? Like, is there something underlying it that is just like not being fixed or, or sh- the, I don't know. I just, I'm wondering what's missing here in the conversation. Yeah, I think there is something to the idea that Denver's a car city. That's how people expect in their minds that they're going to get around. And that's how most people do get around, right? Fair. But places like Cap Hill predate cars. It's like Denver's one walkable neighborhood. <laughs> right. Which you know because the streets are narrow, right? That's right. Yeah, it's a streetcar neighborhood. Even parts of it predate the streetcars, right? So right. like it is relatively dense. Um it is kind of pleasant to walk if you're on the right in the right spot. It's the dream of the city yeah, that yeah. we see right. the utopian, you know, like this is what a walkable neighborhood looks like. So that's really like kind of at the root of all this, right? Is like people this is a walkable neighborhood. And I will say the the part of 7th that probably got the most press um, was 7th and Williams over by Little Cheeseman Park. Yeah. And that is where Dottie put up just a ton of these white posts. Um, and if you talk to Dottie, they say, like, these white posts are cheap. They're quick. We can throw them up and immediately protect people. And they're also kind of ugly, right? Like, I'll just say that they don't look great. And yeah. I understand that they are supposed to be temporary. We'll see if they are actually temporary. But they're also remarkably effective, right? They, yeah. they, they like, do separate. They're visual. I mean, you can yeah. see them as a driver, yeah, right? Totally. Versus just the marking on the street kind of. Yeah. And so that neighborhood, it like that's the wealthier side of Cap Hill as you kind of bleed into the Cheeseman Park and Country Club neighborhood. Sure. And I think people there are privileged enough that when they talk, reporters listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of what we saw there. I also just think um, it's it's just so fascinating to me. The aesthetics is really the problem for a lot of folks is like the aesthetics of those white things. And like I would give anything to have those on my street if it meant people went slower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the criti- the other criticisms you would hear are this wasn't a trouble spot to begin with. Why did we put these up? And you do see like Dottie went out and made some changes. Like when they first put them up, there were so many. And I think they took some of them down. But, you know, Dottie has also said, we're not backing down on this. One interesting change I've seen at Dottie in the last six months or so since the administration's changed is uh, staffers there are talking like a little, they're saying like very pro-pedestrian transit things, anti-car things in a way that has been buried in city plans for a long time. Sure. And now they're like saying that in interviews. I think that's one of the first steps though, right? Is when it becomes part of the normal conversation, that's when the tide is shifting. Okay, we're moving on to RTD because we're, what are we, a month or so out of Zero Fare for Better Air, which they did for two months this time. Um, And Representative Faith Winner was chair of the Senate Transportation Committee and a champion of this program. And recently she wanted to increase funding for RTD and increase accountability with RTD. And then she was hit by a car on her bicycle on her way to the Capitol, which is terrible. But like, what is this whole thing? What does this like display to you? Right? Like I'm thinking about she was trying to do the right thing. She's also in legislation trying to do the right thing. Where are we with this? Yeah. So uh, I talked to one of her colleagues in the Senate last Friday. And she's okay, by the way. She is okay. Okay. She is expected to be back to work soon. Certainly back at the Capitol by the time the session starts in January. I haven't talked with Senator Winter directly, um, but I expect that she is going to push the bills that she says she's going to push. 
Yeah. That's amazing. So with Zero Fare for Better Air, do we have any data yet? I just saw a little bit of data that showed an increase, maybe like 15 or 20% for the first month. Um, but what's interesting in there is that it was up on some lines, but the light rail line that goes down I-25 that's been under construction for the last, I don't know, five or six months. <laughs> like I'm like 20 years? Yes. <laughs> uh, it has it has actually seen a ridership suffer, even with free fares. Um, because they're, they're doing this construction project that's taking forever. And uh, be, by the nature of it, they have to like power down overhead lines and they cut the number of trains that <sighs> operate in half. What? So like I'm, I get angry emails all the time from people that are like, I'm, what is going on? <laughs> I'm trying to do the right thing and I can't. Yeah. So how does that play into this whole thing? Like, is maybe Zero Fare for Better Air tough if we can't even provide the basic service for folks? Yeah, I mean, Zero Fare, I think, like, its legacy will be it um, got them some some good publicity. There were certainly people on it that had not used it before or it just had not incorporated that into their lives. But I think what we're seeing now is, like, RTD really needs to get the basics right of being reliable, um, being there when they say they're going to be there, um, like that is really what people want more than anything right now. <laughs> um, and I know you, so you said there was a decrease on these lanes or this uh, light rail along I-25, but was there an increase in ridership elsewhere? Yeah. So we saw a bump on the rest of the train lines uh, on the, across the bus network, um, which is similar to what we saw the year before. So people like it when it's free. Makes sense. Do you think that a free transit system is a possibility in the near future, just like free all the time for a place like Denver? Uh, so what I have heard from Senator Winter is she wants it to be like permanent. Like right now, it's this kind of pilot thing where they did it the first year for a month, second year for two months. She wants this to just be like standard operating procedure going forward. And she wants it, this to be the case across the state. Wow. Only for the summer. Um, you know, uh, the rest of the year that I think is a different conversation. And I, I'm not hearing people have that conversation yet. Yeah, it seems like a tough sell kind of. It's, it's. I mean, I think the the uh, what I hear transit advocates in town talking about now is like, let's get these buses back. Let's let's hire the drivers that we need to hire. Right. Let's let's start pumping more money into RTD and other transit. So instead of the bus coming by my house every half an hour, it comes every 12 minutes. Like that sort of thing, which is less headline grabby mm -hmm. um, and a little harder to understand. But the implications are way bigger, right? Like if this city and this state is actually going to meet its climate goals, is actually going to move people out of their cars, RTD needs to be a lot better. Let's pull all the way out and look at the front range. When we talk about front range rail, we're talking about it again. Governor Polis is all about it. I read this cute little story you wrote about how stoked he was to be on this train. <laughs> What's going on with the front range rail conversation now? Yeah, so we were down in Pueblo a couple of weeks ago. There's this weird federal testing facility 30 miles <laughs> east of Pueblo. I drove out there and there were like tarantulas on the road. Like that's how far out it was. Um, and it was kind of cool. And the whole point of it was uh, he brought in uh, local officials from the legislature, from county commissions and city councils and mayor's office um, from, you know, up and down the front range. And he wanted them there to say like, hey, I want to do this. 
And uh, I think th- uh, he did it at this rail facility because he wanted them to come. <laughs> and like, it's fun to ride a train. And so that was totally the vibe. Like he, so what he wants to do is get a measure on the ballot to fund this. Um, could be as soon as 2024, might be the year after. Um, and to do that, he's going to need support from you know the mayor of Pueblo, the Denver City Council, like all these people up and down the corridor to really sell this with him. Yeah. And so this was the idea, like get people on the train, get them pumped. And it totally worked. Like I talked to legislators who were like, this is pretty awesome. (laughs) So, but my question is, are voters going to think it's awesome? Because I'm thinking about my mother grew up here and she would go, didn't we already pay for this? Didn't we already approve it? And we never got it. Like what, what do you think voters have the appetite for? You know, they did some polling a couple of years ago that showed a lot of support, like a significant amount of support. Well over half of voters said, yep, I would raise my taxes to build something like this. Um, That was before the pandemic. Mm. Um, So, you know, certainly people are commuting into the office less. Sure. But what kind of train are we going to build here? Are we going to build something so that can go to Pueblo for the weekend and not have to drive? Or is this for someone who's actually going to commute on it? Right. So I think they need to like figure out those questions um, because like the user who would be the user base. Yeah, for okay. sure. Um, so I think it, you know, in that way, like it, I don't think we can just look at RTD's trains, which are largely empty right now beyond the A line. Um, certainly not as full as they were beforehand because they were designed for commuters. They were designed to get people into downtown. So we really kind of have to figure out what this train is going to be. Um, and there, there's a rush right now because if they can get local money, that's a big signal to the federal government that like, hey, we're, we're ready here. You should give us some of that sweet, sweet federal money, which there's billions of dollars out there for it. Um, that could really change the game here. I mean, I saw, isn't Buttigieg the secretary of transportation? Yeah. I saw him rubbing elbows with Mike Johnston the other day, maybe. Yeah. Something's going on. Um, it, I, I, and I know the governor, um, you know, he was a congressman for a long time. He has a lot of relationships with people in D.C. and he is using them. So this might be the time, like previous times just may not have been the time. Even if voters had the appetite for it, maybe this is now the voters are into it and we could get more funding than maybe before. Yes. The, the big federal bipartisan infrastructure law uh, signed a couple of years ago the most money for rail in that bill in decades. Uh, uh, so there's you know, a good, yeah. This is so a good, like, good thing. This, this, that's what everyone is saying at the state level. Like this is the time to do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One last thing, the A-lines, uh, f- like the sponsorship for it's up for sale. You could name it, right? And nobody wants to, <laughs> nobody wants to pay a million dollars to name the A-line. Yeah. So the formerly known as the university of Colorado right. A-line, <laughs> which is always a mouthful that <laughs> lapsed a couple of years ago. So then RTD put out an, our, uh, a request for, they put it out for bid say who, Hey, who wants to, you know, you could have the Joe Schmo a line, the, <laughs> I don't know, the city cast Denver a line. Um, and Be sick advertising. They set a price of a million dollars a year and didn't get any bids. Oh, well, it's still out there. If you want to name the a line for a million dollars. So they said they took it down. They put it out for bid twice. Just kidding. You can't do it now. Nate, thank you so much. This was so fun. Yeah, happy to do it. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell CDOT Executive Director Shoshana Liu about us? 
rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. The most deadly type of crashes are like a head-on. I just head-on to this microphone.